0: The following content is explicit. It's Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018. From Slated to the Gist, I'm Mike Pasca Orrin Hatch, the longest-serving Republican senator in office since 1977, will retire, and with him will go a steady source of comity and conservatism from the Republican caucus. With him will go institutional memory and an adherence to a more gentlemanly way of doing business. But also, with him will go, this sick beat.
1: Heal land, heal land, and guide us with thy hand.
0: Keep us yes, because Orrin Hatch was a lawyer and a fighter, a devout man of God and a powerful voice for the beehive state. But he was also a lyricist, a prolific lyricist, not just with Heal Our Land, which first charted in 2002, but also America Rocks, which went up the Mormon adult contemporary urban charts in 2008.
1: America rocks, America rocks, America rocks,
2: America rocks. from this busy, bustling cities to its quiet.
0: it does with all the abandon of an octogenarian conservative serving an almost unfathomably caucasian constituency that is what happens to the devil's music when it's put through the filter of the osman family yeah that's who we're singing there it's rebellious it's edgy you heard the lyric right it includes the colloquialism like it like is right there at the top You can find America Rocks on the album Love America, The Osmond's Second Generation. But Orrin Hatch, who wrote that song, also occasionally gets political. He wrote about the time that Mitch McConnell bravely blocked a vote on Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. Would I
2: have shared
0: his burden? Or would I
2: fearfully have watched?
0: Nah, I'm kidding. That wasn't in reference to Mitch McConnell. Close. It was about Jesus. Would I have
1: realized that they had crucified
0: the very Son of God? So the question is How can Orrin Hatch write so many songs? A decade ago, the New York Times reported he has written 300 song lyrics. That was a decade ago. He's been writing ever since. What's his secret? Well, a careful analysis of his methodology, I believe, holds a clue. It's this. The songs aren't that good. They often don't rhyme. They're just full of bromides and platitudes. They're basically like a B-minus sermon or some standard speech on the Senate floor that no one watches at C-SPAN at 2 a.m. It's hard to get into the creative mind, but listen to these words. I've been searching all my life. Then you came into view. I was scared to trust my heart. Your eyes told me. What's going to come next? You knew. That's right. Promise me no lies and never patronize. We are souls along the way. In my heart, you stay. Yeah, you knew it. You could do it. Or this one, that he penned upon the death of his friend Ted Kennedy. Just honor him, honor him, and every fear will be a thing of the past. America, America, we're headed home. We're headed home at last. I mean, that could have been written about anything or anyone. But, you know, it's touching. I'm not sure if Orrin Hatch will increase his musical output upon leaving the Senate. Once unshackled from its rules and strictures, perhaps he will let loose with the Lincoln Park-esque death metal coom hip-hop experiment he's long been rumored to be noodling on. Or perhaps he will leave that to the man who is poised to win the Senate seat that Hatch now holds, Mosh Pit Mitt, Mitt Romney, who believes that at least 53% of America rocks. On the show today, I spiel about Donald Trump tweeting. Donald Trump's tweeting. But first, before that instantaneous conflagration that is the president's id, let's check in on the slow burn that took down a different leader. Leon Nafak and producer Andrew Parsons are here to discuss their podcast of that name, Slow Burn. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where it got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter, or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of the Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way. Or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard. B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. My favorite podcast of 2017 is... The gist. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm quite partial. But my second favorite podcast, coincidentally enough, comes to us from a man who sits about 80 feet away from me. His name is Leon Nafak. The name of the podcast is Slow Burn. It's all about Nixon and Watergate and the scandal of the 70s that has resonance today. And when I say it's from Leon Nafak, it's also from his producer, Andrew Parsons. And Andrew joins me now. I like to interview podcasters and their producers. Andrew, hello? Hey Mike and Leon. Hello. How are you? Hey Mike. So this story, I think rightly, your story Slow Burn is told through people, through characters. And Andrew, this this is a great way to tell history, right?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you get the first person perspectives. Yeah, so it's mostly people, but also historians that can sort of paint the larger picture as well.
0: Episode 1 Martha Mitchell, a natural what a story, so compelling. But as you go on, you have a couple things you want to do. You have to hit episodes, and you have to hit major turning points in the story, but you also have to find the compelling people. And it's it seems to me hard for the most compelling people to always demonstrate the most important points in the story, was it?
3: We've gotten really lucky with the people we've interviewed, managed to find really charismatic, intelligent people who help us tell the story and can sort of let us in on what they were thinking at the time and really put us back in their own minds from when they were younger and didn't know, as you said earlier, Mike, how this was going to turn out.
2: You know, generally, I think the best route to go is to find archive audio that really pairs, you know, with whatever story Leon's telling really well. And we've lucked out. We've done some interviews where People make some like pretty big uh, claims, I think, in episode two when the chief investigator for Wright Patman is sort of, you know, pre-election 1972 trying to sort of investigate Watergate. And he has this run in with Maurice Stans um, of creep. Now explain, explain who those two, if you haven't heard, explain who those two guys are. Uh, well, Marty um, he he's former Treasury Secretary, worked for the uh, committee to re-elect the president. Was he finance chairman? And, I feel like he was finance. Uh, he's the finance yeah. Uh, yeah. chief, yeah. And so, you know, the most thing we knew about Watergate in 1972, or most what most people knew about Watergate, all was wrapped up in the finances. So that sort of pointed directly towards uh, Stans And um, this chief investigator, Curtis Prinz sort of has a, a bit of a showdown as they're trying to question him and they're getting railroaded. Uh and you know, when we were doing the interview, he, you know, basically said like this was a big deal that he had cursed at Stans. Yeah. Uh that Stans went to the press with it. He
3: like he he refused to shake his hand and said, I'm
2: not shaking your fucking hand. And then when we went inside the archive on the nightly news on NBC, is Mari Stans just calling out, right, Patman, calling out his investigators, saying that they were vulgar and cruel. And so when Leon's sort of writing that narrative with the guests that we've uh, invited onto the podcast, as, you know, as it's unfolding, to be able to hear in real time, that's one of the, the things that you, know, you can luck out and really have something hit really nicely. The manner in which certain staff members of the Patman Committee have behaved in this entire matter is the most shocking example of partisan misbehavior and discourtesy that I've encountered in all of my years in public life. They were rude and insulting to the point of using foul obscenities.
0: And when you play that nightly news broadcast and you hear this guy strongly to how could you, how dare you even imply that the president was involved in any chicanery? You're obviously questioning the motives of those who would seek the what they think is the truth. My God, does that, I mean, knowing what we know now, does that paint the person saying that in a different light? And does that again resonate with today? Because you have those same sort of full-throated denials. In fact, there are whole networks devoted to it.
3: I am someone who has a really hard time imagining, like in the moment, that someone could be lying to my face, right? Uh, and that includes the press secretary. You know, as naive as that sounds, when you hear Nixon give an address, or I can't remember if it was a televised address or a press conference, where he's explaining how we're going to be really upfront with with all this. You know, I, I understand there there's some questions, and we're going to be totally upfront because. You know, the thing with these with these sorts of incidents is sometimes people are overzealous in campaigns. But what really hurts is when you try to cover it up. Yeah, that's what really hurts. And he's standing it was up
0: Nixon who taught us with through <laughs> his words, it's the cover up, not the crime. Exactly. Yes, and yes. It, it's
3: just it's just astonishing to to, yeah. to 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 hear that and to just imagine what's going on. In, his head. And in fact, John Dean, who is the, the White House counsel, who turned on Nixon I think recounts in his memoir, like sitting at home watching this on TV and being like, "I can't believe he's not just dodging this. Like he's really going all in on the lie instead yeah. of, you know, trying to find a way to say something that's true but not not revealing."
0: How many episodes is this going to be? Uh,
3: eight.
2: And are you sure where you're going with the next three?
3: We definitely know what the story is. That's okay. one of the advantages with, <laughs> yeah, with a history the, show. the
2: ending's uh, sort of figured out for us.
3: That's right. Yeah, we don't have the serial problem where you don't know if it's going to be a satisfying landing.
2: Yeah, yeah. We will don't... Will he resign? <laughs> right.
0: We don't know if uh, there'll ever be a payphone in the uh, Radio Shack parking lot. <laughs> we don't know if there'll be a sale at the Crab Shack. That won't matter. None of that comes into
3: play. To me, I'll be honest. I haven't written episode eight yet, but yeah. I've sort of been trying to think through what the note I want to hit at the end is. And... My main like takeaway from all the reading and interviewing I've you know that we've done on this project is that so much of history seems inevitable in retrospect. Yes, yes. whereas in reality, there were so many moments and so many stages to this story where it could have gone sideways and it could have gone a different way. You know, there could have been, No John Dean. There could have been no taping system or there could have been a taping system and we might not have found out about it. Or there was a taping system and we did find out about it. And then Nixon destroyed it, you know, destroyed his tapes. It could have gone so differently at so many points that like the sort of satisfying ending, which is that justice was done and Nixon was driven out of the White House for being corrupt and um, power hungry. That happened to be what happened. And I think there's no law in the universe that says it has to. You know, I think it's tempting with Trump to think, like, surely someone this reckless and this contemptuous of, you know, the rule of law can't possibly be allowed to stay in this job. Uh, Something must happen for that to be righted. And I think, unfortunately, uh, maybe some listeners are, are processing this story as a comforting one, as a reassurance that, like, things end happily. But I don't think it really goes in that direction.
2: I think it will be the most uh, interesting turn for listeners because right now, when you look at at what people are saying on Twitter, and so it is all about the similarities. It all is that it's a comforting story, and that Trump will get his. But I think the the further you get in, the further, you, as Leon said, you realize that nothing actually is sandstone and the things that have to align to, to get a smoking gun to bring down the presidency are pretty extraordinary.
0: See, I don't at all. First of all, I have no clue if Trump will get his and I further have no clue if Trump was really in on the meeting with uh, the lawyer over, quote unquote, adoptions or how much he knew. I really don't know. I also think if Mueller can't prove it, it's, he definitely shouldn't bring charges. Uh, just let the electorate (laughs) decide for themselves i don't think he should be overly aggressive in how he charges i don't think he should only rest on a logan act prosecution for instance because that's never been tested that's probably too much in the weeds of this current investigation but that's not why i think a slow burn has resonance to me it's what it says about the president's defenders because there were people defending the president then and they were wrong And there are people defending the president now. And it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong now. It matters how they act. And when you compare it to a set of actions where the people are either bending over backwards or uh, being obstructionist or lying, the defenders of the president, to compare their action, to note their action, it's sort of like if you've ever evaluated a liar and then afterwards and, and then you realize he lies and you go back and you try to pick up clues well what are the common traits of someone who lies what are the common traits or what are the common traits of someone who's in denial and just to think about how that really happened during my lifetime not too long ago and to compare it to today is really really valuable
3: yeah um episode five uh, is all about uh Nixon's uh, apologists and, yeah. and the people who stuck by him, even as it became. It's a lesson about those on the wrong
0: side of history. That's fascinating to me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It took people a really long time to stop being able to justify their continued loyalty to him. And, you know, it's hard to pinpoint when the tide entirely turned. I think conventional wisdom says that it happened after the Saturday Night Massacre, after he fired the special prosecutor. That was really like the point of no return for for a lot of people in, on both sides of the aisle. But I think it was probably. I, I imagine it was probably different for everybody. You know, we we interviewed a, a woman who. Worked on the Senate Watergate Committee. She was telling us about her dad, who was, you know, quite disapproving of her decision to come to go to Washington and work for this committee because he was a Republican and he liked Nixon. I think she said that he that he made a, a jack o' lantern with Nixon's face on it. That's how much he liked Nixon. That could be a good or bad thing. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it was a flattering uh, yeah, rendering. That's
1: <laughs> and then you don't smash it after <laughs> Halloween, right?
3: But then he was watching the hearings along with the rest of the country, and um, you know that was enough for him. He didn't need the tapes to be like. Wait a second. I was wrong. There was some there's something rotten here and I don't quite know what it is, maybe, but I no longer feel like, you know, you're, you're doing something uh, bad to your country by participating in this. And, you know, the, the woman I'm, I'm referring to, Mary DiOrio, she, she remembers that with, with a lot of sadness. She remembers like her dad's heartbreaking. Um, and so I think that 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 happened for different people at different times.
2: Yeah, and everyone has different motivations. Uh, you know, there's the whole host of uh, politicians that are trying to guard their own uh, political fortunes for whatever reason. But the the more uh, news tape that I, I sift through, the more there's always a man on the street interview with someone who just still wants to stand by the president, even pretty late into 1974, because they either are highly partisan, but there are some where they just want to believe in, you know, the goodness of the presidency.
0: I just today on CNN saw one of the anchors go to the heartland. She actually wore the same jacket as this guy in Kentucky and interviewed Trump fans. And they said, not only do they not believe in the Russian investigation, common trope, it's irrelevant to the challenges we have and to our life. Is that what the man on the street back then was saying, Andrew?
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, you have the gas crisis that is just uh, taking hold in 1973. You have uh, meat prices soaring. Inflation is a problem. The Middle East. The Vietnam War is still going on. Yeah. You have a lot of uh, issues that people who want to find excuses will sort of look around them and say, is this really... Yeah. Yeah, you know, the best use of our time. And
3: Nixon was the first one to do that. I mean, he, he gave speech after speech saying, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, we got to get back to the real business of governing. We got to stop with this Watergate crap.
0: Yeah. And also back then you could argue, and why would he need to do this? Unlike today, why would he need to do this against McGovern? Like oh, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, God, yeah.
3: So much was known before the 72 election. We knew that these these guys who'd broken into the DNC were on the payroll of, of the campaign to re- reelect the president. We knew... That one of the walkie-talkies that was recovered at the crime scene had once belonged to the Republican National Committee. Like, what did people need? Yeah, you know, to, to, and it was a total non-campaign.
0: I mean, it didn't affect anyone's vote. It would seem. correct. <laughs> yes, yes. It, so much was known, mm. and it didn't affect their vote. People had a chance yeah. to vote on it.
3: So we were trying to figure out, like, why? Why did people not care? And one of the yeah. one of the reasons was that um, people just thought, why would the president get involved in such a stupid? Third-rate burglary, as, as as Ron Ziegler said, uh, people referred to the Watergate scandal as the Watergate caper at the beginning. Like that was the phrase. It <laughs> was just a silly thing that happened. This like these, these... whoopsie banana yeah, peels involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. These like Keystone <laughs> cops like tried and failed to break in to a to a to an office building, and they got caught because they like taped the door wrong. The president is involved in this. The president who was just in China, you know, like making yeah. you know world historical deals or, or or you know making peace with Brezhnev, like. Surely not.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty logical conclusion to come to, actually.
3: Yeah, totally. (laughs) How big a deal
0: do you think is the fact that back then there was at least an agreed-upon truth so that when evidence came to the fore, it was at least counted as evidence. I mean, we talked about Nixon supporters made excuses for him, just like Trump supporters do now. And people found it hard to believe that the president would do this. All these similarities from yesterday, from yesteryear to today. But now, should a similar revelation as a John Dean type turning on the president, or I don't know, there'll be a taping system, but some empirical truth. Now, should that come out, it probably won't be treated in the same way in the same circles, just because we've siloed our information, So how big a deal do you think that is?
3: I think that's the biggest unknown if you're if you're sort of playing the game of is this going to follow the same arc? I think the fact that there was no real right wing media back then, I mean, there was there was sort of the early stirrings of it, and we we get into that a little bit in episode five. But there was not this machine you know of misinformation that is operating now at such a high level. And obviously, there's no social media for you to sort of bury your head in. And so, yeah, I, I, I wonder what would happen if there was a John Dean. I think, you know, there were efforts made in 1973 by the White House and by other Nixon loyalists to discredit him. Yes. Uh, and they didn't really work. People believed John Dean. Not everybody. I mean, people were split, but enough people did that it, that it mattered. And I think... Hearing him describe in detail his meetings with the president and the things the president said, you know, it was at, at the time of his testimony, it was a he said, he said kind of situation. No one really knew for sure. It wasn't until the tapes came out that people did know. I think a he said, he said situation right now would would uh, be dead in the water.
0: Maybe you could make the case it is a he said, he said, but the two he's are both Trump. I mean, Trump is saying a lot of things that are <laughs> damning him. He's telling Lester Holt that he fired Comey because of this Russia thing. Right? Uh, Nixon never did anything like that. And I guess because Trump said it, there's a way to discount that. I, 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 I find it hard to believe that there'll be a smoking gun at the trial and the smoking gun is this interview that he gave, willingly gave. But if that was said and overheard on a secret Watergate-esque tape that would be a huge deal, right? Totally, right? the fact that he
3: said it out in the open yeah. makes it not matter.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fact, in a way, there was 18 minutes of erased tape. But mm-hmm. what's the most damning thing that Nixon said on the tape? On tapes?
3: Well, the smoking gun tape, which was which came out a little, I think it was a few days before he resigned, was him uh, discussing with Haldeman, his chief of staff, an idea for how to mothball the FBI's investigation, which was to have someone at the CIA call over to the FBI and say, look, this is this is our thing. Don't worry about it. Howard Hunt, you know, he's our guy from back when we did the Bay of Pigs. Just chill on this. This is a matter of national security and, and not anything for the FBI to worry about.
0: So, pretty clear evidence of obstruction of the investigation. Yes. But no admission of the break in.
3: Yeah. I don't think, I think we still. Just don't.
0: like this, just like the Lester Holt interview is an admission of uh, trying to monkey with the investigation, but not saying anything about the uh, initial incident.
3: Right. I think we still, we no, no one knows whether Nixon had any role in, in planning the break-in. I think that 18 and a half minute gap is is thought to contain those answers, but we'll never obviously uh, know what they are.
0: Yeah, let's say Watergate hadn't happened and there wasn't this uh, cover-up and no one ever said, what what did the president know? When Mm -hmm. did he know it? And there wasn't, as you document, all this uh, partisan, you know, going to their corners and fighting for your man. We might think of this thing totally differently, right?
3: I think that's right. I think one thing I'd say is I don't think we'd be speculating about when Trump would fire uh, Mueller. I think the notion that a president would fire the special prosecutor in, uh, investigating him was unthinkable. It was not something that had occurred to the staff of the special prosecutor's office under Archibald Cox until like the week before it happened. And so I think the fact that we began this parlor game as soon as Mueller was appointed, I think is a reflection of the fact that we've like gotten used to the idea, thanks to Watergate, that this could happen. And I think the same thing is true about impeachment and resignation. Like, no one could fathom that the president could be run out of office the way Nixon was right. until it happened.
0: The name of the my second favorite podcast of 2017 is Slow Burn and the men behind it are Leon Nafak and Andrew Parsons. Guys, thank you so much. And I look forward to all the rest of the episodes.
3: Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike.
0: And now the spiel. Donald Trump ended last year with a big legislative win on tax cuts. Wasn't his word about tax cuts. It wasn't his bragging about tax cuts. It was the actual tax cuts. The president's popularity briefly improved. So he's looked at this and he's taken the lesson that substance and deeds will win the day, not rhetoric. And he's responded by unleashing uh, a splenetic upchuck of his thoughts. Here was one tweet. The United States has foolishly given Pakistan more than $33 billion in aid over the last 15 years, and they have given us nothing but lies and deceit. Thinking of our leaders as fools, they give safe haven to the terrorists. We hunt in Afghanistan with little help, no more. That caused some deep diplomatic tensions, but you know what? He's kind of right. Pakistan is, and this was the phrase used by an expert on the region, a quote, minimal satisfier on the war on terror. They do harbor terrorists. They are a force for destabilization. Of course, they also have the nuclear weapons. They do provide an air corridor for bombing the hell out of ISIS, so there's that. But the tweets just kept on coming. I like this one. Crooked Hillary Clinton's top aide, Huma Abedin, has been accused of disregarding basic security protocols. She put classified passwords, capital, into the hands of foreign agents. Remember sailors' pictures on submarine? Jail. Deep state justice dept. Must finally act. Also on Comey and others. Remember sailors' pictures on submarine? I didn't, but then I found out what he was talking about. There was the sailor. He was uh, making the rounds recently on Fox. His name is Christian Saucier. He took pictures of the submarine he worked on. He said because he was so proud to have worked on it. And then in his interview with Fox, he said this.
2: You know, that's why I pled guilty. I didn't go to trial. I said, take whatever punishment they have to give me. But I think that it's what's the issue here is that the punishment isn't doled out evenly across the board. You know, you have people like Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, and Huma Abedin who have committed
0: far more egregious acts. And therefore, Mr. Saucier's example was cited by the president. But what is this? I just like the lyric. Remember sailors' pictures on submarine. It's like skyrockets in flight. Scattered pictures... Like the sailors on submarines. It really is a classic. I am. Sailors pictures on submarine. I was, I was singing it all day. What was it reminding me of? And then I got it. Then Trump tweeted, since taking office, I've been very strict on commercial aviation. It is true. You ask a pilot, they're like, there's a new sheriff in town. Anyway, I interrupted his tweet. Good news. It was just reported there were zero deaths in 2017, the best and safest year on record.
1: Also, smallpox, no smallpox. Can I get the appropriate graciousness?
3: Thank you, Mr. Trump. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump.
1: Cholera 2, have you seen the Zika charts? They're all tremendously down. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump.
0: Do you know where that audio is from, by the way? During my youth, there was this ubiquitous ad promoting a Trump-promoted fight between Michael Spinks and, and Mike Tyson, and, and that was them thanking Mr. Trump. Thank you, Mr. Trump.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump.
1: Also, shark attacks, according to the international shark attack file. Real thing, no one died of a shark attack this year. You're welcome. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Orcs. No one, no one was killed by an orc. No one was killed by Jeffrey Dahmer. Dishonest media won't tell you that. And my greatest accomplishment at all first. Wait, I pause. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Neuro invasive cases of West Nile virus in both Delaware and New Hampshire. That was me zero. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Now, maybe some of them were bussed over from Massachusetts, but zero neuroinvasive cases in those states. Also, West Virginia. I love West Virginia. Zero non-neuroinvasive cases. No one's talking about that. Why does no one talk about that? Thank you, Mr. Trump. And finally, remember that fight between Spinks and Tyson? I do. It ended in 91 seconds. You paid 50 bucks on pay-per-view and we got you out of there quick to spend more time bringing jobs back to America and not getting cholera. So perhaps one last time, can I get a Thank you, Mr. Trump. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Mr. Trump.
1: So much more polite than the verbal.
0: That's it for today's show. If you see a great big smile lighting up just producer Pierre Biename's face, it's because he knows he lives in a downright wonderful place. When I see Steve Licktie, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, my heart turns inside out. From a feeling deep inside that makes me want to shout, just senior producer Mary Wilson rocks. Just senior producer Mary Wilson rocks. From her busy, bustling cities to her quiet country walks. Totally cool, totally hot. I mean, she's like right there at the top. The gist, I hate to correct a currently sitting senator, but uh America's not like right there at the top. It's numero uno, people. America rocks. Umper depuro do and thanks for listening. Thanks, Mr. Trump.
1: We we'll see who's the champion.